This is episode 221 on blocking outside noise and finding your inner wisdom with El Divine Nino. You're tuned into Forever Athlete Radio, where together we go far. I'm your host, Corey Camp, and today we sit down with El Divine Nino, an artist, a coach, and creator who shares content geared towards helping you find the nuance in your life. So really, you can start to discern what is your true inner wisdom. We all know that life is complicated, right? There isn't a magic pill to make your life all butterflies and rainbows. So today's conversation, it's really geared towards helping you decide what is true for you in this season of life that you might find yourself in. Nino talks about his life and his journey outside of combat sports, how he finds ways to stay true to himself in such a public-facing career like content creation, as well as how you can really start practicing to do the same in your life. So let's dive into it. El Nino, my man, my friend, welcome to the show. How are you feeling this afternoon or evening, I guess, for you cool. too, right? Yes, it is 6.36 p.m. here in Toronto. Uh, no, I'm doing so good. Thank you for having me on. I've had a full day full of productivity, so my anxious and restless mind can rest easy knowing I accomplished today's tasks. Beautiful. What I'm curious, just on that note, like, what does a typical day look like for you? Because I think there's that perception of, content creators of yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. oh you just sit around on your phone all day and that's <laughs> that's that what is that well, that that is impartially true I, <laughs> I am on my phone more than i like to admit to people more than i like to admit to myself but no i i'm fairly i'm fairly disciplined in my life which has i mean i think there is no way that i could be talking about or teaching people the things that i try to incorporate around discipline mindset and personal development if i wasn't practicing those things so mm. I go to sleep at 10.30, like that's like I'm in bed, like closed, you know, like a little mummy on my back. Uh, I wake up at 6.30, I try to get myself up right away. I don't, I don't, like a lot of what Jocko Willing says, I don't negotiate with myself because mm. I, oh, I am the master negotiator and I will win that negotiation. So I just get up right away at 6.30, I immediately do my meditation. It's usually just 15 to 20 minutes, sometimes I do chanting. Om Mani Padme Yom. It's like a Tibetan Buddhist chant. Or I just sit in stillness, which would be Zazen meditation, which is very much the traditional idea of meditation where you are focusing on your breath and trying to cultivate a stillness of the mind. Right after that, I have the privilege of having a gym in my apartment. So I go right downstairs. I crush about 45 minutes to an hour workout. Today I did chest. So, you know, dumbbells. Like, I mean, I won't go through the whole yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, I did a good chest workout. I felt quite proud of myself. Immediately, I come back up. It's cold shower. I've been doing that for almost six years now, five years consistently, uh, which I love. I love it. It gets me going. Do my cold shower. Then I immediately journal. And in my journaling, I will expunge anything that I feel like is anxiously in my mind, whatever thoughts, worries, anxieties, because you know I'm a human being. Those things still arise. And then I immediately set today's tasks. I already usually have an idea of what I wanted to do that day, but in that moment, I think it's extremely valuable, not just for athletes, or I think for anybody on earth. Uh, you know, it's a psychological principle called cognitive uh, offloading. We're just mm-hmm. setting the things on here onto a, a separate place so that we don't have to worry about it. So for instance, today I wrote, I had to create a content plan for uh, a therapist who I'm working with and marketing some of his content. I'm helping him there. Um, so I, I meditate, a coaching call I had with a client, uh, workout, read for a certain amount of time. And I just set these daily lists and then I pretty much start my day. And I, because I'm keto and I'm fasting, I don't eat till around 1 p.m. So I, I just am empty stomach, just doing my task, working on my laptop around 10.30 a.m., right? I'll maybe remember that I had an idea for a video. So I post that on, on Instagram. That really doesn't take me that long. Just record myself giving some kind of piece of what I hope is valuable <laughs> insight and not just self-serving social media uh, content. But I mean, it's always inevitably somewhat self-serving because I am putting it out for myself as well as others. Um, but yeah, and then throughout my day, it's just a matter of getting to each one of my tasks, trying to, and I'm, I'm quite a homebody. So I stay at home most of my day. Maybe I'll go for a, I want to go for a quick walk, but I, I love being at home. I've really, I really believe in cultivating a space that you can work in. And also as a content creator, inevitably my environment where I live is also typically where I work and create content. So yeah, and I just stayed here. I hit each one of my tasks. A friend came over and we did co-working space because I always want to invite people into my space um, to use it. I guess I'm, that's the little hippie in me. 
And it also, you know, it's a way to hold myself accountable too, to not be on my phone distracted. And yeah, so I've only had one meal, for instance, all day. Um, and then I'll probably only have one more. But those two meals, I, I have a ridiculous amount of food. So that's uh, the benefit, I think, of intermittent fasting. Firstly, is I don't really get as hungry as I used to. And you actually have more energy. And lastly, if you want to be lean and ripped, it helps. It, you know, your body goes into ketosis, which burns all your fat. And, you know, it increases a lot of potential benefits for anyone listening. Keto is king, in my humble opinion. There we go. I might have to argue on that one. But uh, Fair enough. Well, <laughs> we can argue all day. <laughs> um, man, it's one, glad to know I'm not alone in the mummy uh, sleep position. Because no. I've been doing that for years. And I've been catching a lot of flack uh, from people <laughs> in my life. They're like, dude, you look freaking dead. I was like, yeah, I'm resting. What else? <laughs> like, what am I supposed to look like as I do it? Um, I'd be curious, man. Like what was, at what point did you realize that you were going to like really lean into creating content and putting yourself out there on the internet of all places? Man, I think, I mean, and this sounds, I mean, I hope it doesn't sound bad, but it, I think when people gave me feedback and responses that felt un <laughs> that felt unequal, I guess, in a way, like I felt undeserving of it. It felt like, whoa, I didn't realize that that could make such an impact on someone. I didn't realize that making a video, let's say, for example, which was a big one on TikTok, about resentment you hold towards your parents and trying to deal with that as you grow up could have people messaging me about how you know, they were feeling suicidal and now, you know, they feel a little bit more empowered and just to say thank you. And I started to realize that I was losing a lot of value in this world by trying to be cool. I mm. had, I had, before I started putting content out, I was, and even in the beginning stages, I was so attached to an idea of what I needed to look like and be perceived as. For all my spiritual inclinations, I still couldn't let go of being perceived online a certain way. And then when I, realized that the bits of myself that were the most honest and authentic were getting feedback that quite frankly, like I felt like, oh my God, like this is potentially actually life-changing or helpful in any way, shape or form. It's worth it. And it definitely created rifts in my personal life though. You know, you put yourself out there and you start talking about, you know, your meditative practice or your emotional vulnerability or your relationship struggles and suddenly you're not cool and people in your life think you're cringy and they think mm -hmm. you're and you know they start talking shit behind your back and that was very real and i never paid it attention but it seemed like the friends in my life always needed to make it apparent to me you know, oh did you hear what this person i heard this person's talking about you and that's when i started to realize you know not to be encouraged divisiveness but i was like oh you know what if people feel comfortable talking that much smack about me in front of you i don't imagine that you're that great of a champion of me behind my back so I, it also helped in a lot of ways, showing up authentically online helped me show up authentically in my real life as well, because it made me realize maybe I hadn't been as honest about who I am around other people. And that could be in regards to every element of my life, from interests to, you know, my sexuality to everything. And I was like, okay, I think that this has been an incredible practice and opportunity in being myself. So ironically, while people talk a lot of shit about being online, I found a lot of authenticity online and yeah maybe the initiation was positive feedback and mm. i think that gave me maybe the the push that i needed to be myself i guess yeah isn't that so interesting like that's when we start to lean more into that authentic self how it is received by the people in our immediate uh vicinity it's a, it's yeah. usually mixed bag results yeah. Some people love it. Like some people who I wasn't that close with suddenly, you know, deep friendships arose because we mm. realized all these similar passions and interests and values. Whereas other friends, it was this unfortunate chasm and especially around my drinking and my drug use, because, you know, once you practice sobriety, it's really hard to maintain friendships that were built around a party lifestyle. It's mm -hmm. just, it's so heartbreaking too, because there's people like I would love to be friends with all of them. And a lot of them, I think, feel like, or have been, I've been told like, oh, they think that I feel like I'm better than them. But it's simply about like respecting my, my health and, my, and, and, my, and myself enough to know that unless they're willing to maybe do things 
that aren't centered around partying. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm not comfortable being in those places and spaces in the same sense. And again, that's all part of growth. And I was talking to a client today around growth and I told her, you know, cause she's having problems with her friendships. And I said, look, like, I'm, I'll be quite frank with you. If you, you are someone who values personal growth, don't you? And she said, yes. I said, well, I'll break it to you right now. The more that you grow, that implies that you're going to change. And the more that you change, it implies that people in your life are probably going to be like have to notice there's a difference and whether they're going to be accepting of that or not, you cannot worry about that. I mean, and you can't become attached to that because if you become attached to that, you're going to betray yourself to maintain, to maintain a friendship that doesn't serve your growth. Now, I think that not to be self-centered, but I think we have to choose ourselves because there's a life where there's two lives, right? There's a, the life where we endure the suffering of living authentically. And that burden never feels as heavy as the life where we, grow resentful and bitter because we accepted and attached ourselves to the things we were afraid to lose. That's not, I always encourage the latter, you know? Mm. That's deep, man. I think that's, I've never really been able to put it into words like that, but that really speaks to kind of my, my journey in a lot of ways. If I look back on, it's like, man, why, why am I not friends with people from high school mm. still? Like I'm coming up on my their my high school is planning its ten year reunion this year this spring. I'm getting all the emails, and not an ounce of me feels inclined to like go back there and make a trip. I think part of it too is it's like I don't live in the same state anymore that I grew up yeah. in, so to go would mean there's all this like cognitive resistance to actually going and fulfilling uh, that task. So I'm like ah, it, the more I sit and think of it, it's just not worth it. But a lot of it is rooted in. I I would look at high school me and I wouldn't even really recognize him in in a lot of good ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I think I've taken a lot of the traits that I I admired about myself back then and have worked on them and then kind of chiseled out these others. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like you've done a lot of the same over the years here too. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that experience. And it's funny, uh, in part, I think it's, I'm in an interesting position as a, spiritual guide teacher being in any kind of a role where you have where you're providing guidance i i understand why there's been a grievances felt towards me from people who knew me as in high school because i'm like yeah of course because mm -hmm. <laughs> you're, you're imagining that it's that guy giving advice or feedback or coaching and i'm like i agree that guy wasn't qualified that guy I, I definitely wouldn't want that guy to, but, but you know, that's just a, ma a matter of growth. And the fact that it's really hard for people to conceptualize Corey camp as a different individual in values and growth and mindset and whatever, than the Corey camp that they know, because the thing is you're still Corey camp, you know, fundamentally to them, you're the same human being. We don't forget. And yeah, you know, that's just a matter of life. You got to just get used to it. Yeah. Well, I was about to say, I think that's a, a perfect kind of intro into, I, I really want to deconstruct identity more with you because I couldn't think of a better person to kind of have this sort of conversation with. And when we peel back the layers of identity, I think, I mean, to your point there, people around us need, almost need us to have an identity more than we okay. need to have an identity ourselves so they can wrap their head around, well, who is Corey, who is, mm. you know what I mean? Like, who can I, when you sit down across from me, who can I expect to show up? And that identity answers that question. Where did you, where do you see that coming from just in your background and your experience? Uh, go so off, go crazy. Ask, I'm so happy you asked this. As, <laughs> a, as a student of Buddhist philosophy, um, so a lot of the uh, Buddhist concept of, let's say, suffering arises from attachment. And that primarily comes from our ego. Now it's very similar to the psychological understanding of ego, although there are some nuanced differences, but in essence, in psychology, we understand the ego as the reality grounding principle. And now this makes a lot of sense. So psychically, when you're developing as a child, your ego forms, it's, it's a healthy part of formation. It's the part of you can, that can now conceptualize that we are different than the objects in the world and that we have an individual sense in this world and we're operating on this world and there is a separation of self and world and that's good it's a healthy ego formation now the problem is that eventually and this is a, a famous quote from Carl Jung is that the first half of life is 
uh, focused on developing a healthy ego. And then the second half is learning how to let go of it. So in that respect, our identity is being formed through the attachments. And that's what your ego is doing. It's very healthy, right? So at first, we identify as the son, like or for myself, I know as the son of my mom and dad. And then I also identify as a brother, right? It's like familial relations. And then I identify maybe as a student, and then maybe uh, as a Muay Thai kickboxer. And you're building this identity, um, and it's helping you have discern yourself from other tribes, other people, and know how to navigate in this world. But ultimately, in the spiritual lens and the Buddhist lenses, we have to learn to cultivate present moment awareness. And in doing that through the mindfulness and meditative practices, we learn to let go of the identity, let go of the attachment to our ego. But this is seen as a threat to the system, right? Because your system used the ego as a reality grounding principle, as a safe net, right? Because otherwise, how, how could that 13-year-old self know who he was, right? He needed to form himself. And, but then as adults, as wiser, perhaps more enlightened individuals, the call is now, how can we let go of identity? Because inherently, an identity is a definition. And when you define something, you set parameters. And those parameters, whether we like to admit it or not, are always going to be somewhat limiting. And this is something James Clear talks about in his book, uh, Atomic Habits, and, and how we can use identity to work for us as opposed to working against us. So for instance, I use this when I wanted to get into meditating or this is an example I use. If I would want to get into meditating, I shouldn't think of it as, oh, like, I don't know, I'm just someone who wants to meditate. Instead, I should think of myself, I'm a, I'm a, I am a meditator, although I'm new to my practice, right? You can have the nuance around mm. like the context of it. But in identifying with your new practices or new habits, it makes it easier to engage in them. And that's a qualified, empirically backed fact. But on some level, and this is, I guess, part of the Buddhist teachings is, once you have habits in place that are aligned with your values and, and you know, you have the discipline structure in place, the, the most freedom comes when you let go of needing to think of yourself and like having that self-reference and identity. In fact, the Buddhists would see it as a bit of like, it's kind of vanity. It's like, you don't need to keep thinking of yourself. Just be, you're a human being, right? So practicing things like present moment awareness and mindfulness and meditation, and for me, like learning about Buddhism, and recognizing in my own life that I actually end up being able to be more present, let's say, with you here when I'm not in my head about it. I'm more present mm -hmm. in my relationships and I'm a better partner, I'm a better uh, friend, I'm a better son, I'm a better brother when I get myself out of the way. And again, this is not to say to become an ascetic monk who no longer has a personality, but it's simply a recognition that when we are presently engaged in a moment without needing to conceptualize an idea of who we are, we actually end up moving into a kind of flow state in which we're uninhibited. And this is actually something a lot of athletes talk about. And when, when they hit a, hit a peak performance level of athlete, okay, they've already practiced, they've put in the discipline, they already know what they're doing. They describe the flow state as a moment where their sense of self disappeared. And suddenly they were just overtaken by the moment. Yes, because truth is, I believe that fundamentally, we all know who we are, like out, beyond needing to define ourselves. We are simply however we are expressed in the present moment. And that is, that's it, you, right? I am. It's the mm. big uh, Buddhist revelation. I am that I am. That's it. Yeah. Dude, I, I mean, we can jam all day on flow. I think what you described there, too, reminds me a lot of Scott Barry Kaufman's work in Transcendence. I'm not yes. sure if you're familiar with, with that, but being able to transcend the self, um, it's something really, truly powerful happens. Like, those are the true, like, deep flow moments that, people like you and I and, and people listening to this even like look back on and they're like, I blacked out. I don't, I don't really remember anything that went on, but it went well, you know, uh, for the most part, usually in those, <laughs> those moments. Right. Um, I'd be curious too. You mentioned that moment where at some point the tables turn and you need to let go of identity yeah. after embracing it. What can someone start to look for to start to bring more awareness? Maybe they're, let's call them, I like yellow flags. I, yeah. I don't like the polarizing, like red and green. Red and green. What are some like yellow flags, some caution tape that's like, hey, you might be going in too deep in mm. attaching so much to this identity and therefore right. the end result of how this is showing up. Yeah, it might yeah. be time to like pump the brakes. There's an amazing 
uh, metaphor on life that Alan Watts loves to talk about, and it's regarding life as play, specifically regarding the identity that we hold ourselves as uh, as a thing to play with. Now, if your identity at this moment, for anyone listening, feels like something you get to play with a little bit, right, and you feel engaged with it, let's say you're like you're trying out some new athletic pursuits, perhaps, like you're taking up running and you're like, yeah, I'm a runner or whatever. And that's a new fun thing that you're doing and you're engaging with them. But when suddenly your inability, let's say you get invited to do something else, another kind of exercise sport with a friend, and suddenly you find yourself being limited by this new definition. Suddenly you're not so inclined to participate in something else because, oh, well, actually I'm a runner. I don't do that. You can start to see how if, you're, if your definition around yourself is now starting to limit your ability to engage in things that you might normally have, or you might on some other level have been willing to, then this identity is no longer serving your best interests. And I guess that's always a matter of knowing how to, like flowing with the moment as well. For mm-hmm. instance, I find myself, if I'm with a client, I can play into the role of I'm a coach here, right? And there are certain aspects of myself that I need to accentuate. And I also need to shut up in certain aspects because I'm here to coach. I'm not here to, to be their friend as much as you want to be friendly. and in that regard, it's, do you have a, if you can flow within identity and bring different parts of yourself out without feeling too rigid, I think that's, a, those are good things. It's when the rigidity sets, begins to set in and suddenly you're around friends and family and you still are finding yourself in a certain role. Uh, I find that a lot of, and we actually talked, I was, I had the pleasure of talking with an individual with dissociative identity disorder and he had seven different identities and he was talking to me about how he found that even the typical normal person actually expressed some of the symptoms that he would have. For instance, people mm. would come home from work and they would feel like, oh, I can't, I, sorry, I'm still like in work mode. Like I can't take off my work cap. And he was saying how in a lot of ways, that's how we might bring roles and identity into places where they're incompatible, right? Mm. And this happens a lot, for instance, we, like, you know, you work at, let's say you're serving for eight hours or whatever, and you're stuck in such a role that suddenly outside of that, uh, you leave the restaurant or whatever it might be, and you find yourself still rigidly stuck in that role. And again, something that we can do to get out of this and really what I practice or what I preach a little bit, and I try to practice is using the power of your breath. Now the breath is, it's so annoyingly simple and the amount of people who heard it and probably thought glossed over it because of its simplicity, I understand. That's how I approached most of spiritual practice. I thought it was so simplistic, it must be stupid. But the beauty in it is in the simplicity that simply by taking a breath in moments where we feel ourselves being overwhelmed by, you know, the fact that we're bringing in or carrying our baggage from a role that we were just in and how that's, you know, affecting our ability to show up in this new identity of whatever the present moment might call, simply taking a big, deep breath and through our nose and kind of letting it flow and then out through the mouth is such a simple but effective way of, like hitting a reset button on your brain, like an unintentional breathing practice. So, I mean, you, sorry, to go back on your question, you talk about what are yellow flags. I think anytime where we start feeling constrained, because identity really is something that is in its nature illusory. Mm-hmm. There is no objective identity of yourself beyond like maybe a biological realities of, or something like that. But even then the way that we show up in the world is gonna be a subjectively uh, subjective experience and we, you, and you can be very intentional about it. And again, that's a huge value in identity is can we show up with intention? And a lot of us, I, 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 unfortunately I would probably diagnose we, a lot of people haven't even had that opportunity to show up with intention in their lives, whether that's been in the opportunity to make their own decisions around their like schooling, their health, their discipline, their habits. And a lot of us feel like we're at the mercy of life. And if we feel that way, that creates the perfect storm for your identity to be out of your control, right? And that's why I think I, re- I love your content so much around, you know, being disciplined and habits and all the information is that is how you construct new identities. It's, it's in your actions, really. Like your identity beyond your actions is just illusory. So really the, the, the true identity of what you are is simply what you do, how you treat mm. others. That's what you are. You can think of yourself as whatever you want, but the truth is, in the moment and what is like literally being done. Yeah. I think the, what I, the way that I kind of saw, especially like bridging the gap from like athletics into the now for me was looking back on 
like the constant through line. While I don't have the same identity of swimmer anymore, so to speak, um, I can still take when I strip that layer back. What did that mean to me? It meant showing up on time, mm. like having the discipline to do that. I showed up with intention. I think everyone knows if you have played sport at some point in their life, the difference between showing up and kind of just going through the motions of that workout, the practice, the film session, whatever, versus showing up with intention. And I love that you just brought like, that's really the secret into healthy identity formation and Mm -hmm. also the counterbalance of it as well. Like being able to not let it be this restrictive thing that defines us in this box, so to speak. Exactly. Kind of, I'm like, I try to get it through to people. I'm like, just all I ask is just like show up with intention. Like Mm -hmm. when you're showing up on a Zoom call, what is the intention of the Zoom call? When you're showing up, when you're picking up your phone, what is the intention of picking up your phone? Um, We open up Instagram. When you open up TikTok, what's the intention of you going down this dark rabbit hole of sorts <laughs> that you're about to embark on. Um, and that one's, that one's super tricky. It's, I, I found, especially as I've leaned into kind of embodying more of a creator um, content role and identity, I'd be curious for you, like what have you found to help there in setting an intention and then following through on the intentions that serve you? Uh, like, do you find yourself scrolling down down that doom scroll from time to time i am infallible and perfect i've never done that (laughs) um yeah of course um you know one of the practices that i've been doing honestly is inviting people into my uh home to work uh because i'm self-conscious enough that i know that my ego i can like i can use my ego like my ego won't let me go on my phone and scroll if someone else is here because i would hate to be i would hate to be like perceived, perceived as that. someone yeah. that's like, distracting myself so i'm kind of like tricking myself i guess or you know i'm just setting up or facilitating an environment that's gonna encourage me not to do it um but another practice as well was exactly what you said is if i pick up my phone i'll be like whoa, whoa, whoa. what the hell am i looking for and and again you know humans are rationalizing creatures we're not rational i can sometimes i'll be like i feel creatively blocked maybe i'm gonna I'm, I'm, i need inspiration but I always try to be mindful and careful of that because I'm like, true inspiration usually comes from me when I'm like sitting alone, maybe reading. Reading is great because mm-hmm. honestly, I, I would argue that a lot of my content is simply I read really wise people's work and I go, I could regurgitate that into a simplistic manner that other people can understand. And, and that's the basis of a lot of my content creation. And I'm, and I'm not ashamed or like, I don't like, I have no shame around that because I truly believe I'm like, yeah, that's what, that's tr- that is what sharing is. I don't. Like we're always, or at least for me, I'm always trying to, uh, you know, borrow from other people and, you know, obviously make it my own. So I guess, sorry to answer your question is being intentional, okay, just setting a good goal. Like before I pick up my phone, I have to ask myself, what am I doing? And, and it typically works, especially around posting. I'll be like, I'm here to post a video. Okay. I post it, whatever. And then I'll be like, okay, share it to your story. Reply to like these DMs, you know, cause you want to be like uh, engaging and engaging yeah and then that's it and i try to get off but again my my bad habit is if i have finished all my tasks of my day then i'm like i'm i'm a little less i guess rigid around doing like scrolling a little bit i'm kind of i, I will indulge and I, and that's just because i, I am quite disciplined is until my my today's tasks are dealt with I'm, pre- I'm pretty on top of it. But then when mm. my today's task, because sometimes I finish, you know, early at 4 p.m., 5, I'll spend an hour. <laughs> I'll spend a good hour just, yeah, having fun, uh, posting a meme on my, like, on my personal account, whatever. And again, uh, it's all about balance here. If you're showing up to the rest of your life with discipline and stuff, it's okay. You don't have to yeah. Okay. I was going to get your take there on, like, the, like, knowing when to be, like, closed fist discipline versus kind of being a little bit looser in grace because if what I've seen just observing this pendulum of where especially in the athletic world it seems to just always be swinging to the extremes of like when you and I were growing up in sport it seemed to be a little bit more like tight fist rigid discipline in all areas of your life a little bit like total, total, totalitarian yeah, yeah. I can't speak I guess 
Um, <laughs> versus now, it seems to have swung and overcorrected itself in the other direction. So how do we find that, like, I know the middle is always messy for a lot of different reasons, but how do we, how do we kind of correct and find something that serves us better? Cause I don't think either have shown to serve what we actually want. You know, I forget who the quote was by, I wish I could remember, but they were saying that when we think, when we conceptualize balance in humans as like a, like, the what's it called with the weights on either side yeah yeah that that, that the makes scale. Sense. the scale rather right when we conceptualize balance as if it was a scale in the human it makes absolutely zero sense because that would imply that we're like a stagnant system the human is anything but that i mean we're literally we're like this dynamic organic system going through like chemical changes constantly and we're literally in movement through time and we're, we're most of us are doing stuff throughout our day as such i think that balance is something that you that it's kind of like you're always moving away or towards. You're never truly attaining a balanced, stagnant state that doesn't exist. As such, I encourage people to find balance in regards to their values, because I think that the moment that we start imposing an idea of what balance looks like for every human, we start becoming dogmatic and rigid in our own understanding of what a human is. If we all followed the exact same principles of balance, in fact, if all of us had my lifestyle, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have a lot of people doing a lot of jobs that are necessary and a lot of people uh, living the ways that are conducive to, to their work and their skill sets. Mm. Like professional athletes, they need to be a little bit close to it. You're a professional athlete, dude. You're, you're the top tier perform, physical performance. You have to be close grip around your diet. You have to be close grip around your, your, your practice every day because if you don't, you're not going to achieve at those high levels. And then quite frankly, you're no longer the professional athlete at that level and again this is why i think it's important for us to make choices as individuals regarding what we want to do and what life we truly want i believe that a lot of people don't want the life that i have i work a lot i'm, I'm a workaholic i'm constantly you know like personal developing myself i don't think everyone needs to do that i think a lot of people could take like would enjoy being a little bit slower taking their time in the mornings not waking up at like 6 30 like sleeping in a little bit and and as long as their, 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 the way balance looks in their life is aligned with their values, because inevitably at the end of the day, truly what balances is, are you living a life aligned with your values as an individual? It's not my responsibility as El Nino coach guiding you to, to your wisdom. How hypocritical would it be if my tagline, which it is, is guiding you to your wisdom is not going... Okay, so this is your wisdom, by the way. This is the value. This is your value set. No, that's that's a hypocritical approach. Now, I do believe that, in my personal beliefs, I do fundamentally believe there's some universal values around self care and love and and how those hopefully should be expressed. But I I demonstrate that in my lifestyle. I demonstrate that in my in in my content, and it's not it, even then. I I care little to impose it on others. Mm. It's a it's like there's this amazing quote by Lang Tzu, which is, truth out of season bears no fruit. AKA, when people are ready for something, they'll take it. If they're not ready, they won't listen, no problem. And I think to touch on what you said about the, the health movement, when I see those posts about self-love and self-care and it's showing someone eating and gorging on, on disgusting junk food filled with sugar that's carcinogenic and it's absolutely nothing caring about that, I go, okay. Like, you know, it, it's not, I don't comment, I don't do anything, but of course, my personal belief is there's nothing caring about doing that to your body. There's no self-love in that. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that you can't have a piece yeah. of dessert. I'm just saying that by defining self-love and self-care and acceptance and even fitness around, around binge eating is a, is a, and a healthy practice and, and it just doesn't make any sense. And, and, and that's where I do have my own pushback in my personal life in regards to uh that pendulum swinging that we that you touched on i i am not in the camp of treat your body however you want at any point and that's and that's self-care because as someone who's dealt with addiction problems and who studied the psychology of the mind from and i'm very well versed in this is if you allow humans to do anything they want it's like what what do you mean anything you want which you is it the you that has values around health, discipline, all this stuff? Or is it the you that 
that has impulses as well and sometimes has dirty thoughts or you know and can be sexually promiscuous and etc it's like there is no concrete you and to touch back on identity this is something that's been studied in psychology there is no such thing as a concrete you in fact who you are come can change depending on the context that doesn't make you fake it makes you a human being so but what it does reflect is that when when in terms of discipline and health if you're making decisions based on what you feel when you want you're going to probably live quite an imbalanced unhealthy mm -hmm. lifestyle that's that's driven by impulse and pleasure whereas discipline is the true roadmap to freedom because when you have because i believe most people have like pretty good values and when you create discipline structure around your values that might seem rigid on the surface they actually end up being the things that create the life that you truly wanted and isn't that freedom to live life as you want yeah i think it's so important to to make that distinction between which you is driving the uh the ship are you familiar with um internal family systems i was just kind of introduced to no, this a little while ago so i was having a conversation um with a, a coaching friend of mine and he i was telling him a past story from a, a younger version of myself um going through some things and he was like well what do you need to do to to heal that first and foremost because what it sounds like is that 10 year old version of yourself hasn't been given a voice, hasn't been heard since you were 10. So occasionally what's happening now in your life is when you're met with certain decision-making opportunities, that 10 year old you who was suppressed, silenced, and not given that voice takes over the bus and kind of kicks this higher self version of you the peaceful aligned version of you that quote unquote knows what to do, knows what foods are healthy for you and, and not healthy for you and knows what workouts to do and not, not to do. He gets thrown out of the driver's seat and the 10 year old says, Hey, watch this and makes that unaligned decision, even mm -hmm. though I know better, um, so to speak. And I think that just gave me a lot of clarity of like, Oh, okay, cool. Like it's a part of me still great. How do I give him a voice? How do I like sit down with him and, and have a, a conversation at the table and be like, Hmm, I really want to have that dessert tonight, but I've had dessert for the past four nights in a row. So, <laughs> and this is like actually what I'm dealing with right now. So I'm like, huh, tonight, probably not. And I'm not going to let the 10 year old version of me come out and be like, no, Corey, you deserve the dessert, like self care. Yeah, let's get it. It's like, I don't know. Is that is that truly self-care? Mm. I know like the highest version of me can definitively sit here when I'm grounded and say no. And I think that I just wanted to share that because that's what, what I'm hearing a lot of in in you're talking about it there too. Yeah. You know, it's, it sounds a lot like the idea in the Jungian sense is, is like reparenting your inner child. So the mm. idea that like we do have, we have, we all have, archetypes and stuff and one of them would be like the inner child and obviously that one is going typically it's it's creative it's expressive it's the curious part of yourself because most children are innately curious and creative and open to new experiences and unfortunately right we we leveraged our authenticity growing up for acceptance and we lost a lot of that connection to that child and now as adults if we don't ever acknowledge that that was lost like you said right we're it's going to somehow affect our lives in some unconscious way one way, shape or form, however that might be, whether that's intention seeking or, you know, self-sabotage behaviors or drug use, whatever it might be for each individual, it might look different depending on the scale of our traumas in our childhood and all that. But one universal factor, if you want to integrate this part of yourself is the reparenting part is that look, as adults now, you can't go like, if a lot of people have the, it's well-intentioned, but it's a bad idea of, thinking that they should go back to their parents and mm -hmm. try to find the reparenting in them. And it's like, it's very, very unlikely your parents who already just raised you at least past 18, 19, 20 are going to be able to firstly radically accept that they made a lot of those mistakes, that they're going to take that feedback constructively and that they're actually going to now, okay, now I'm going to reparent you in the ways that you need or want. That's just so unlikely. So instead, we do have the opportunity to reparent ourselves. And this is a really fun practice in identity, which is like, I actually do this where it's like, I 
you know, I acknowledge that there's like this child and he has these needs and wants and I can express them like even verbally. Then I'll be like, in comes the other voice, like the parental figure. Like, okay, okay, I know you want this stuff, but like, what can we do for you? Well, how can we, how can we meet those needs in a way that doesn't destroy mm. what we've built here? You know, so for instance, I, I still like, I get cravings for sugar and all that all the time. So I'm keto, which is pretty restrictive in regards to like, processed sugars. But I'll be like, wait, tonight... I'm going to have like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go all out with my yogurt. I'll put like almond butter and like, I'll put like sugar-free sweet. No, you know, I'll, I'll indulge it in myself. And even it breaks a little bit of the rigid keto, but because I'm like, I want to give this kid something because he's been mm -hmm. so disciplined and he has been showing up to the other practices in life and he has maintained sobriety and I'm proud of that growth in him. And if, and I'm acknowledging that it's been hard for him because that's been the part of me that did want drugs and did want to party and stuff because that inner child for me was the part that maybe, you know, I have, I have middle child syndrome, didn't get enough attention as a kid. So I needed to find it out in nightlife from women, and, you know, from putting myself out there and from sexual promiscuity. So because I'm not giving him that, I still have to acknowledge he's there mm -hmm. and he has other needs and wants and, you know, and even it sounds super silly, but it is this playful thing. For instance, I still acknowledge that that part of me has the middle child syndrome. Like I want, attention from women on some level and like that's I acknowledge that and by acknowledging it firstly I take away the power of it from having to do it unconsciously by ending up on tinder or stuff I'm not on any of that but a way that I do it in a meaningful manner and in a way that is, is a little bit lighthearted and plays into it is if I want to go get a coffee I'll go a little bit to a further coffee shop I'll dress up nicely and I'll go and I'll walk in there you know be nice whatever read a bit and leave just because it feels like I put myself out there. I gave that little inner child who needs his attention and needs to feel seen. I allowed him to be seen, but I did it in a way that doesn't firstly like compromise my values. It doesn't put me in like a place where I'm now sexually promiscuous with strangers that I didn't want to be. And, mm. and while I still gave that inner child, which has its own kind of immature needs, I guess I'm still indulging it a little bit because if we become rigid or restrictive of those parts of ourselves that maybe are a little bit wounded, it's only going to lead to self-sabotage behavior and repressed emotions that ultimately have more power to control us from the unconscious realm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge. I think a lot of, would you say like in being able to embrace that part and that, that level of work and still learning how to really give that part of you what they need without compromising totally on like the overall like value yeah. structure right is obviously a constant work in progress but would you say that that's kind of the secret to being able to live with a little less shame guilt and you know like almost like walking around with your tail between your legs being like oh man i fucked up again like i shouldn't have shouldn't have drank last night or I shouldn't have been with that person i know better i but i texted them because whatever yeah, I absolutely. I think the first step in like leading a more shameless life or like not being led by shame is recognizing that we are infallible and that we are imperfect and that we are flawed because shame tends, tends to, shame is an emotion that, uh, this is from Brene Brown that I learned. It's a very like uh, person to person emotion. We feel shame because we think other people would judge us for our behavior. But the more vulnerable that I've been online and open about my own experiences dealing with, uh, you know, I guess alcoholism, uh, drug abuse, and and even sexual promiscuity, it's like I've actually found so much less shame in recognizing that, like, wow, a lot of humans deal with this. Guess what? We're all kind of we all have sexual urges, and guess what? A lot of us like to drink and party to like deal with our problems. It, I am not alone here, and in acknowledging this, and this is also like a big part of the union psychological work is. When you're able to bring parts of your shadow, right, of those things that we're typically ashamed of into the light of consciousness with, with a degree of, firstly, I think, accountability and mm. love. And I, and I really do mean love as in, like, not like, good for me, but like, a, hey, you're a human being. It's all good love. Like, you know, it's all good that you've, that you've fucked up, that you've hurt people, that you've made mistakes, because God knows I have. But I look at that and I see that boy, and I have a picture of myself that I, I actually use to remind myself in this practice, that when I'm talking to myself, I'm speaking to that kid as well. And that kid deserves a little compassion, he deserves a little understanding, and in that space of the light of consciousness where you're not bringing up those behaviors that maybe aren't aligned with your values, 
it's so much easier to not get weighed down. Ironically, it's so easy for me not to drink when I admit, oh yeah, like me and drinking, I love to drink too much. Like, whereas when I wasn't acknowledging that, it was really hard to stop drinking because every time I was engaged in the behavior, I could, I could do things to try and hide that truth. Oh, mm. I would actively buy one beer when I knew I couldn't drink more than that because I had like a, like a commitment or something. So I'd be like, see, I only had one drink. That's, a, that's proof that I don't have a problem with alcohol. As opposed to just acknowledging it. And ironically, I'm sure that if in the future I ever do drink again, which isn't off the table, I will have a better relationship with it because I've admitted to myself, both publicly and to myself, that I have a tendency to overdrink. Mm. And in doing that, it, 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 it brings the shadow to the light of consciousness where it makes it easier for, easier for us to hold ourselves accountable. And as long as we're holding love and compassion for ourselves, we're unlikely to fall into a shaming spiral, which are the worst. And God knows that's what my drug use and stuff always looked like, which is you shamed yourself for getting too drunk. So then you need to feel better about it. So then you look for something that's going to instantly take away that pain. And then you do something bad. And then the next day you feel even worse about it. So then again, it's just a spiral. Shame is, doesn't serve you. Yeah. I was about to say, it's a, almost like a bottomless pit of sorts yeah. there. It's just- Ironic, you know, just being familiar with your content over the years, um, I I see a lot of where now your brain comes from in the creation process and how you do a great job of of explaining the nuance of approaching both sides. But I, I see a lot now that something clicked for me. I was like, oh, wait, all of his stuff is literally just like you now, this like higher, I don't want to even <laughs> say higher version of self, but this peaceful version of yourself now sitting and comforting either past parts or still present parts you know of of you is that like fair yeah, to say? that's literally that's literally the that is the basis of my brand and a part of me my ego's like damn i hate how we got it <laughs> you figured it the out mis- the mysteries go, over. i need to go switch it up <laughs> no but that's that's exactly it man it was a realization that like i didn't get to do that that mm. In my hardest moments, I was alone, and I never, and I, I rarely made the right decision. I hurt people, I, I sought comfort in drugs and, and women and sex and, and partying, and and I lived a comfortable life, my friend. I really did, and it, it wasn't until I finally hurt enough people that I started to make radical changes and practices in my life. And um, so I think the content for me is like, it's just, it's almost, it's so selfish, but I think that's the best art in a way. I'm like, it's me talking to me, man. It's just me talking to that kid who mm. needed this, who I would like to imagine there's a version of me, and that's maybe what I see in like people who reach out is that would be me if I'd gotten the chance to see this, you know, getting to realize like, damn, like it really doesn't serve me to be like that, or shame doesn't help me, or self that's where the self-sabotage is coming from. Whatever, you know, I mean my content is kind of vast in that regard. Yeah. <laughs> I have made so many mistakes and there's so many areas to to create content and find inspiration from. But um yeah, you know what's great? You, you said something that I hadn't acknowledged. It's not so much a higher self; it's a peaceful self. Because, mm. because I'm not like I'm. I'm totally infallible. I'm totally not infallible. I'm totally still flawed in my many ways. I still have urges and inclinations. But it's like, yeah. But I'm at peace with my demons. Like I, I'm not fighting them. I'm not. I'm not ignoring them either. Like I once did. I'm not pretending they're not there. I'm. It's just like me and them are at peace. I'm not fighting them. And by making peace with them, they have no real. Or no, no real control over my life. Honestly, mm-hmm. it's, pretty, it's pretty dope. <laughs> yeah, I love I love that shift into looking at more peaceful peaceful version of self rather than highest self. Like, what oh, yeah. is the highest self? Because then, yeah, I mean, when you're coming from that place, not a, just like how bring it full circle. You mentioned friends and acquaintances through your life. You know, will view you as you go through the self growth journey with judgment of, oh, he thinks he's better than us now because he's gone off and, and done this stuff. Mm. I think using that same language of I'm um, pursuing the highest version of myself and what would my highest self think of me right now? Well, no shit. It's going to be shame, judgment, and guilt, and all these other lower vibrations. Yeah, you know what I mean? And I think that true acceptance, to your point, comes from that place of peace. So if we can make more decisions from peace 
from safety, from being like, oh, no, 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 I'm good right now in this moment. What do these people, these other parts of me around me need to be good in this moment? Mm. Oh, let's, let's sit and talk. Let's have that discussion. I think, and the nuance around being peaceful, because the, the, the red flag that pops up in my brain, yellow flag is spiritual bypassing, AKA, mm. if we haven't actually done the, the time of confronting our wounds, confronting our fuck ups, confronting our, our, our human, you know, failure, our human condition. And we simply go, Oh, right. I've learned all this spiritual stuff. I'm in peace now. I'm, I'm meditating. I'm, that's not, that's not, that's not the peaceful place. The peaceful place is, Oh boy, do I see all my problems and boy, do I accept them? And boy, do I see my flaws, but boy, do I love them anyways. And, and, and not in spite of, but because of it, because it's part of my story and part of who I am. Because even though on some spiritual realm, I might identify that there is no identity. It's all illusory. I'm still grounded in a reality that ultimately my awareness was aware of all of these experiences that were held in, in mm. this, in this time frame, anyways, in this uh, experience of my individual life. And if we ignore that, we all, we're, we're falling prey to the potential of uh, recreating our unconscious behavior patterns um, from our childhood, specifically regarding our trauma and our wounds. And th that is what I see at play, again, in yeah. my diagnosis of most people's lives. We unfortunately, it's, it's very human. It's so cute of us. I love humans. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about the humans. But we want to recreate the conditions in which early relationships form with both our parents or even our first girlfriends, et cetera, et cetera. But unfortunately, most of our parents weren't perfect. Most of our childhoods weren't perfect. So the patterns that we end up recreating as adults don't tend to serve our most peaceful self. Yeah. I think it's an important distinction there, right? That peace and peaceful self doesn't always equate to comfort and comfortability, right? Like yeah. that could be really, really uncomfortable sitting there and making the decision and taking action from that space. I'd be curious as far as taking action, you know, I, I told you I was going to ask you this before yeah. we hopped on. What was taking taking the action around putting yourself out there online through, would you call it an alias, through a username, through yeah, yeah, yeah. not using... Through a, through a stage name, let's say. Yeah, <laughs> stage name. I love it. What, what was that thought process there um, um, for you? Yeah, the thought process. So I actually, I made hip-hop music when I was younger. So I actually... Uh, 18, I started making music on SoundCloud. And then by 19, I was like putting it out on Spotify and stuff. It wasn't very, it wasn't the best, but I was, I'm proud of it. Nonetheless, it was part of my artistic expression and discovering parts of myself and confronting my shadow in a lot of ways, actually. It was one of the few areas in my life where I could like engage with maybe the darker parts of my mind in a way that felt healthy. Mm. Um, but the name really came from, I was, I wanted to do something that would reflect that uh, of my Colombian heritage and background. Um, and maybe a, a tie to my family because my family is like my, my, my bedrock in my life. And I was thinking of all the names that they had called me throughout my life. But they were very sweet. It was like mi principe, like my prince, and mi hermoso, like my, my, my gorgeous. And then I thought, wait a second. When my mom would talk about me, when she was talking shit about me to other people, she'd refer to me as like este niño, like this kid, you know? So I was like, right, I am this kid. I'm, I'm not only this kid, I'm the kid. I'm the boy. So El Nino was a reflection of that. And the irony in that decision choice was that I also liked it because I always felt very connected to my inner child, even at that age before I was maybe totally invested in the psychological underpinnings and spiritual side of it. But then all of a sudden by 23, 22, when, which is when I started making content around my, my passion for psychology and mindfulness and spirituality, was that El Nino felt perfect because El Nino felt like the embodiment of my inner child. It was an opportunity for me to put myself, put my most artistic foot forward, I guess, online. And for me, El Nino is a representation or a reflection of my, my inner child. And that, that's why online, you know, you see the more sensitive part of me. You see me opening mm. up about my vulnerability, about my traumas. And I try to I'm trying, I guess, to be a role model for younger men and even young, younger women that there's strength in it and you don't lose your masculinity because you, because you acknowledge that you're human and you have wounds. In fact, 
I'd say the most pussy and beta thing in the world is hiding your emotions because you're so scared to feel them. And you take like that to me. I go, that's beta. If you're gonna if you're gonna classify men like that, that is the most beta thing I could ever hear. But again, that's not, I'm not in the realm of making those classifications. I rather just go. There's a lot of peace and stillness. And as such, El Nino became kind of this driving, I guess, identity because mm -hmm. it felt so unbound. Like for me, a child is the most limitless potential filled thing in the world. You see it, the kid and you go, who knows what they'll be? They could be a scientist, a rocket, you know. And in a way, shape or form, El Nino, I guess, even continues to represent that in my own artistic career. You know, I'm an actor. I create content online. I'm a poet. I still write music, and maybe one day, in a, maybe in the future, I'll release more when I'm a little bit more proud of it. Um, and I continue to find ways to. I'm a podcast host, right? I'm a coach. I continue to find ways to express myself, both artistically and professionally. And I think, in a weird way, rebranding or choosing this name, El Nino, it feels very feels like I've given myself permission to mm. to explore because. Like before I was El Nino, right, and I just, I was Esteban, this Esteban, I felt very grounded to what that meant. I thought Esteban is cool. He is a cool Latino guy. He's got tattoos. Um, he studies business school. I was in business school. Uh, I get bitches. Like I was so, so like rigid in my identity because I, I had an idea, a very limited idea of who I was. Mm -hmm. El Nino was the permission I needed to be anything. And that exploration and that permission that I gave myself is ironically what's allowed me to truly find myself again, is brings out the most authentic version of myself. Mm. That's beautiful, man. Thank you. That's, that's beautiful. That's what I say. I think it's really inspiring to see in a world, like we mentioned earlier, that's constantly encouraging you to niche down, to, to just be that one thing, to just be the, the artist, the poet, like, Dude, just do poetry content. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And and who knows? You know, maybe the world is right in some regard of you'd have two million followers if you just did poetry. But it sounds like you're at peace with where you're at right now. And I think that truly is more, you know, more important. How do you with all that, how do you discern between new things that come up um mm. with that approach and knowing like this is an interest and versus like, this is something I should really pursue. Like you said, you're going all in on yoga. Before yeah, this. I am. I am. Yeah. For anyone that's saying I'm going all in on yoga in my personal life. Um, I think that it depends. So the way I show up online, like I use my Instagram stories, let's say as a way to show a little bit of my lifestyle because hmm. I want to, I don't, I, I hate the idea of people as content creators, actors, whatever it is, suggesting that they're anything other than human and that kind of pedestal that we've put people on culturally socially is, i think it's disgusting it's reprehensible it's what causes a lot of children and teenagers to feel so alienated to feel like they're not good enough and to feel like you know like that it's out of their reach so in that respect i think any new thing that i'm trying out that's just kind of like hobbies or passions or interests like yoga i'll just i i share it in my stories the stories are like the place that i think are for lifestyle for showing people that i'm I'm just, mm -hmm. just a dude. I'm just a human being. And sure, I've read a lot and I have my own unique perspectives and I'm, and I, I'm quite spiritual and whatever. I, I'm still fundamentally just a human being and, and I'm on no pedestal at all. And then how I discern that from you know, what I'd like to actually create content around, more tailored, let's say, in coaching or creating workshops or programs, I tend to focus on what I know best and like my actual skill set. Um, I have... And it always sounds pretentious when I say it. I have a fantastic understanding of the human condition in regards to how our psyche is formed. I really believe that I have done like the the inner work. I've done the experiential work. I've and even yes, I've done the, the a lot of psychedelics. And while people, you know, there is some hesitancy, and I, I understand that that can be a little bit of a, a red flag in the sense that I'm sure a lot of shall a lot of goofs who don't know much also do psychedelics when used with intention and stuff, I think they're an incredible tool to discover parts of your inner psyche. And I've been on this kind of introspective journey for like 10 years, putting into practice. Like I've been reading, started reading like Frederick Nietzsche and philosophy, like 15 years old. I've been heavily interested in the subject of the human condition for over 10 years. As such, that is where I will focus on creating 
value-laden content. And, and for me, that's been very much a psychological-based perspective grounded in practical strategies and mindset to improve your relationship to life. Mm. That is where I will focus. But I mean, in saying all that, I really want to learn how to facilitate breath work because I, I already feel like I've been meditating for over eight years now. I, I feel like I could definitely guide meditation. I feel like considering I have those experiences, maybe I could learn breath work and facilitate that. There's a lot of skills that I want to learn and I'd like to perhaps add to my my tool belt. Mm-hmm. But right now, the main focus is how can I provide people the psychological, um, psychologically based tools and strategies to improve their relationship to life and their, and their self and ultimately reveal that I believe most of us have wisdom and intuitive knowledge around who the, fel- who the hell we really are. And when we learn to listen to that, your life will fundamentally change for the better. And that's oh. my, that's my shtick, you know? <laughs> I love the shtick, dude. I think uh, it was, you know, it's been really cool to watch your growth and just the content but beyond the content too. And I've very much enjoyed this past hour being able to like sit down and, and hear beyond just the, the 30 second or the one minute clips <laughs> that get put out there. You got some long form content yourself, right? You've started podcasting not that long ago. You're, how's that, that been ago. going? You know, podcasting is a different space because, and it actually makes me quite anxious in the sense that Humans, we get into the habit of wanting to categorize people, put them in boxes. It's a, it's a very normal part of the human psyche, and it's just the way that our brains evolved. However, it's a very limited way in understanding individuals because, you know, it leads us to want, like, for instance, it's very easy to see my presence online and go, like, oh, yeah, like, this guy doesn't have any opinions on UFC fights or, like, he doesn't give a, you know, he doesn't care about culture stuff because he's so grounded in the present. But actually, you know, I grew up, like, really invested in the culture and I care a lot about you know culture and politics and I have a lot of my own opinions and I want to use the podcast it is called where's the nuance as a space to hopefully create nuance around what I often find are dogmatic and black and white approaches to understanding complex issues like politics and culture and identity but I get afraid quite frankly that I might alienate people by sharing things that they might feel like it's very, again, like it's very easy to label me as one way or the other. For instance, if I start talking about the fact that I believe that the two-party system is a failed political system and that um, we need to completely like revamp, and again, I'm speaking on America, but I'm interested yeah. in this politics. We need to <laughs> radically reimagine American politics in a way that diminishes lobbying powers and the influences of that and the recognition that both parties are kind of bought out by the corporate hegemony. A lot of people on either side go, are you fucking kidding me? So like, so you don't identify with either one of us. So, wow, so you're, so you're with the liberals will go, the Democrats will go, so you're a Republican. And then the Republicans go, so you're a Democrat. And it's like, I, I, don't choose, I choose not to identify because I think both of your parties are failing the people because I think you're bought out by corporate powers. But again, the moment you start sharing perspectives like this, you're now, you're now no longer just El Nino guiding you to your wisdom. You're El Nino with an opinion. Who the hell do you think you are? And again, I'm taking that risk because I believe that I fundamentally, I, I think that I have something worth value of saying. And I believe that I am an individual who knows how to hold space for differing and conflicting points of view through a lens of compassionate awareness and, and ultimately with values that are not divisive and in theory are very unifying. Because I, I, in my own personal beliefs, I believe we are all one. And, mm-hmm. and when I come from that place, it's like, I'm not looking, I'm not here to divide us. I, I really want to, I mean, in my own cultish way, I want all of you to feel like we're all one. You know, it's like, I know where I'm coming from. It's a place of love. So that's been what's guiding me through the podcast, but it is not without its fears. Nuances. Yeah. I do, I do get scared, Corey. I do get scared. I'm like, uh-oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post the fact that I don't like Joe Biden and someone's going to go, what? And I'm gonna be like, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't have confidence it. from a guy who's <laughs> blacking out on stage. So like, uh, doesn't give me a lot of confidence. I'm telling you. And and again, you know, I'm trying to be open around it because I I want to encourage people who feel like their perspective isn't allowed anymore because things mm-hmm. have become polarized, and I can't, I can't authentically show up unless I'm willing to get criticized. So fuck it, you know. Yeah, yeah I think that's huge. 
that's that's huge. I just want to acknowledge you for for leaning into that, even even if it's Thanks. scary and um, all of the things that come up with it as well. Um, but it's worth it, you know. Um, that's what I, I love about so this show. I'd be curious, man. I want to ask you the fast five, the the rapid fire one yeah, sentence, one word answers as we wrap here. The first one: What's your go-to podcast other than your own that you've been listening to? Bro, Joe Rogan. I fucking love Joe Rogan. <laughs> Yeah, I like Joe Rogan. He's got such a wide range of guests, and the comedian yeah. is so fucking funny. Like, I, I am I am by no means an intellectual snob that feels like every podcast has to be indulging my brain. Sometimes it's nice to just hear comedians talking shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's healthy, right? It's like yes. that that white fist versus hey, letting it letting it flow a little bit. Number two, what's your favorite book that you've read in the past year? The past year, holy smokes, I've read a lot of books. Um, Alan Alan Watts, The Way of Zen. Mm, check yeah. it out. Yeah. Number th- number three, what's something that you can't live without? My phone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's my job. It's like everything. <laughs> I need Fair my enough. Phone. Yeah. Um, number four, what's a quote that you live by? Choose love, not fear. Mm. Number five, if you could sum up your focus right now into just one word, what's that word? Freedom. Beautiful. El Nino, man, thank you for, for spending some time with me this evening. Um, I really appreciate it. It's been cool to watch the sun go down in the, in the background there for nice. you. Um, where can people find you on all the platforms, keep up with you? and everything that you're doing obviously Finally, the nuance i get podcast. to plug myself yeah i'm just kidding um this <laughs> is, why is happy I'm here. now <laughs> no i'm just kidding uh you, yeah, anyone listening you guys can find me at el divine nino el divine nino n-i-n-o i'm on there on youtube instagram twitter the whole thing and then you can find my podcast on spotify apple Podcasts under where's the nuance it really is a podcast where i'm focused on tackling black and white issues. I have a lot of interesting people on there as well, not unlike Corey, you know, individuals with dissociative identity disorder, uh, PhD candidates uh, studying psychedelics and neuroscience. It is a a vast ranging podcast, not unlike the Joe Rogan, which I mentioned is one of my favorites, but the framework of the podcast tends to be how can we confront black and white ideology and add a little bit of color. And that really is a big, big passion of mine because I don't believe in creating a world where we all think the same. In fact, I'd like you to think a little bit different than me. I mean, let's be original. Beautiful, Dan. Beautiful. And if you're listening, if you made it this far, if you made it to the deep end of this, go leave him a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever we're listening. Because uh, that means a lot, I think, as the shows grow and, and yeah. everything. Um, but dude, again, thank you for the time. Appreciate you taking the time to listen today. Remember, wherever it is that you are listening on, take a second to leave a review, subscribe, and if you're feeling, feeling extra spicy, feel free to share this episode with a friend, family member, or teammate. It really does mean a lot. Appreciate you being here. Hope you have a fantastic week. And until next time, flow on, my friend.